No? Anybody? What is it? Wrong. Try again. No, wrong. One more guess. Anybody? Bueller? No. This is, this is the, it's called the Kingda Ka. It is the tallest and fastest roller coaster in North America. You can find this bad boy at Six Flags in New Jersey. It is 456 feet high, about 45 stories high, and it goes from 0 to 128 miles per hour in three and a half seconds. Pretty intense. I, I was going to show a video, but watching a video almost made me sick, and so... If it, I love roller coasters. If it made me sick, I didn't want anybody puking in the pews this morning. So anybody else here love roller coasters? Okay, yeah, Randy Bally, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. If you're like me, you know, I try to act like I'm really cool a lot of the times, like, you know, do the free-falling thing with my hands in the air to act like I'm tough. But typically, especially when, like, I ride the Mamba, at some point, I'm going to hold on to something. I'm holding on tight to the rail in front of me or the person next to me or the lady's hair in front of me, just to feel safe, right, and secure, and just holding on for my dear life. And, you know, apart from roller coasters, we all have times and seasons in our lives where, you know, we have to hold on tight to what we believe. Has anyone been through a time where you had to either hold on to what you believe because everything around you seemed to be trying to destroy you or your faith? Been through a moment like that? Okay, good. Most of us, you know, maybe we have friends that were trying to draw us away, you know, and loosen our grip on what we believe. Maybe life dealt you, you know, some bad cards, and so some people in your life were questioning why you serve this God that's supposed to be so good when your life seems to be falling apart. We all have those moments. You know, maybe someone's tried to convince you that KU is somehow superior to MU, right? And you had to, like, stand your ground, right? I mean, that's nonsense. We're not going to put up with that. You had to hold, you had to hold tight to the truth there. But all jokes aside, we all have those moments where push comes to shove, you either, you got two choices. You're going to hold on tight to what you believe. You hold on to the gospel, to the teachings of scripture. You're going to, or you're going to give in to sin. You're going to give in to temptation. Or you're going to start believing lies about yourself or lies about God. And this is exactly pretty much where the Christians in the city of Thessalonica found themselves as Paul was writing his second letter to them. There were some false teachings going around that um, were proclaiming that Christ had already uh, come back a second time. The return of Christ had already happened, and so they missed out. They, they believed that they missed the boat. All these other Christians were taken away with Jesus forever, and they were just kind of screwed. And obviously, Paul had a lot of um, things to clear up, a lot of misunderstandings. So in addition to just really false teachings, they were also being persecuted. So Christians there were being literally drug out of their house. They were being publicly humiliated. They were being beaten because they were Christians, and some of them were even killed because they were Christians. So you can imagine, just imagine the comfort that these Christians needed to hear and the clarity that they needed to hear from Paul on what was going on and you know, why did Jesus like leave us. So he had a lot of things to clear up. And so we're going we're gonna to jump in and see what Paul had to say to these guys in this moment. So go ahead and open up to 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, we're going to be reading a decent amount today. We'll be starting in verse 13. We're going to go to chapter 5 of verse 3. So 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it should be page 827. It's a really tiny book. It might only take up like one page if you're using a pew Bible. Page 827.
2, starting in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Chapter 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now, for the most part, all of 2 Thessalonians, basically leading up to this section we just read, is really dark and heavy. Bob talked about it a few weeks ago. Paul addresses some things that don't really make you feel lovey-dovey on the inside. He talks about God punishing those who don't know him with everlasting destruction. He talks about the man of lawlessness, who many believe to be the Antichrist. And he talks about how those who reject Christ are going to experience eternal damnation um, and be eternally condemned. Not bedtime stories that we typically want to share with our children. And immediately, this is what I love about Paul, immediately after talking about such evil and such dark realities, he turns his attention, as he so often does, uh, to gratitude and to giving thanks in all circumstances. If you look again at verse 13 and 14, I'm just going to read that again so we can Get that fresh. It says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can imagine, you know, these people are being persecuted, hurt, killed because of their faith. They think they missed the boat on Christ's coming. How encouraging it must have been for them to hear that Hey, you know what? We're praying for you, Paul and Silas and Timothy, the three guys that went to spend time with them and preach to them. And we're thanking God for you. We want to remind you that God loves you. He chose you. He set you apart. He's sanctifying you. He's helping you become more like Jesus. And he's making you holy. Probably very encouraging. And if I can be honest, as I was reading specifically chapter 13 this week, I was really convicted um, and felt a lot of guilt to be honest with you, as one of the pastors here, and shame because I do a very, very poor job. If you look at that first sentence there, it says, we should always thank God for you. I think a lot of times I take you guys for granted, and it's just very easy to wake up every morning and, yeah, this is my church home, these are my brothers and sisters, and not thank God every day for the privilege of being able to do life with you guys. And so I just wanted to confess that to you guys. If you ever thought that the person standing up here is some spiritual hero or giant or super holy. You're dead wrong. We are wrestling with this stuff, and this stuff challenges me and convicts me and brings me to my knees too. Let's look at verse 15. This is really where we're going to focus most of our attention. It's 
kind of the meat of the passage. As my friend uh, Brady Cameron would say, this is the hamburger of the passage. So we're going to really dive into this. Verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now we obviously don't know what Paul said to them 2,000 years ago in Thessalonica. But he did write two books specifically to these people in that city, the city of Thessalonica. And we know some of the main teachings that he gave them. So we're going to put these up on the screen. We obviously can't cover all of them, but these are some of the main teachings he gave them. He says, imitate the Lord. Allow the Lord to make your love increase and overflow for each other. Be pure and holy. Encourage each other and build each other up. Salvation is through Jesus Christ only, and we may live together with him both now and forever. And he says to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now you can keep that up if you want. And it's easy for us to look at those and say, well, yeah, duh. Like, of course we're supposed to do that. We should imitate Jesus. We should encourage our brothers and sisters. Of course we should rejoice always and pray continually and all that stuff. But why? And I'm going to ask you guys, why should we do these things? What are the implications of us holding tight to these teachings? What are the implications of us not holding tight to these teachings? I want to hear from you guys. Not everyone at once. If we do these, what will happen? If we don't do these, what, what will happen? <clears throat> yes, Renee. As Christians, I mean, anyway, I mean, we need to be encouraged. And if we don't do that, she says she would fall apart. I probably would too if, if our brothers and sisters didn't encourage us. Yes, Natalie. Yeah, yeah. Of course we should follow Jesus. That's how we're called to live as Christians. If we're not, if we're not imitating the Lord, what are we even doing? What else? Maybe one more? Yeah, if you don't give thanks when life gets hard, it's easy just to see the world from a cynical perspective and just be immersed in your sorrow or your depression or whatever it might be. Good, good answers. I came across um, an incredible story, you can take those down now, this week, that um, a pastor named John um, Piper shared. And it happened in the fall of 1987, and the man's name was Henry Dempsey. And something happened to him that he would never forget for the rest of his life. Uh, Henry was a pilot, and he was flying a 15-passenger civilian aircraft that he owned. And on a flight to Boston, he heard a strange noise in the back of the plane. 
So he wanted to, you know, check out what was going on. So he handed control of the plane over to his co-pilot. <clears throat> While Henry was walking back, the plane hit turbulence. He tripped, fell against the rear door, and the door flung open at 4,000 feet in the air, going 190 miles per hour. So the, up, the top part of his body was sucked out, and in the last few seconds before he would eventually fall out of the plane, he had a, just a couple seconds to hold on, to grab onto something to try to keep his body in the plane. Luckily, he found a rail right by the door that he gr- grasped onto for dear life. And thinking that actually Henry had fallen out of the plane, the co-pilot went for an emergency landing at the nearest airport. And when they landed, authorities and the emergency crew came to see what was going on, and they found Henry there. His face was about that close to the runway, still alive, and they said that his hands were gripped so tight around the railing that they literally had to pry his fingers off. And he was in that position for 10 minutes, 4,000 feet in the air, with his head out of the plane going 190 miles per hour. They had to pry his fingers off. That's intense. And that That is the type of grip we need to have on the gospel. That's the type of grip we need to have on the teachings of Scripture. And this is exactly, that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 15. Stand firm, hold fast to these teachings, because everything is on the line. And everything is on the line because we live in a world and a culture that fills us and tells us more lies every day than we can even keep track of. We're told that if we buy this thing or that thing, then we're going to be fulfilled. We're told, hey, you know what, find your identity in your work. I've heard people recently tell me, Man, I don't, I don't, like my, whole, my whole identity is in my work. I'm switching jobs. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm having an identity crisis. Identity is found in how much money we make. Culture tells us that marriage really isn't that sacred. If you marry someone and you're just not happy, it's not working out, then it's probably the wrong person, so you have the right to just kind of move on. Maybe give it another shot. We're told that being beautiful and attractive is number one, and that if you don't look like the models or the movie stars, then somehow you're not valuable. We're told that if someone wrongs us, that we need to get even, an eye for an eye. But then Paul's teachings and Jesus' teachings come along and tell us everything contrary, completely opposite to that. We're told that our identity is found in Christ alone. We're told that marriage is the most sacred and intimate relationship a human being can ever experience. We're told that wealth doesn't lead to happiness or joy. We're told to forgive people when they wrong you and bless those people that persecute you and pray for your enemies. And as most of you know, a lot of you here know me, for about 10 years of my life, you know, I tried to be a world-famous drummer. That was my goal. It was my life. I ate, slept, and breathed music. And... I wanted to be number one. A couple things I want to emphasize. I wanted to be number one. And if you've ever seen the movie Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby says, you know, if he ain't first, you're last. That was how I lived. If you're not first, you're last. Not, not there's nothing wrong to be, you know, it's okay to want to be the best. But I used people and I took advantage of people to get what I wanted to increase my success in whatever way. And then Jesus comes along and says, the first will be last and the last will be first. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to make as much money as possible to live the good life. And then Jesus comes along and says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And I put my whole identity into being Justin Amos 
the drummer. And that's where I found my identity. It's where I gave, I gave my whole life to it. But then scripture tells me that my identity is that my father is the king of heaven and the savior of the world. And I'm his son. And that's my identity. It has nothing to do with what I do or what I think I need to do or how I look or how I dress. I'm his son. That's my identity and that's your identity. Holding fast, holding tight to the teachings of scripture is how we learn to be like Jesus. It's how we learn to stay in God's will. We learn from that how we're supposed to treat each other, how we, we learn how to do life as a church family and love each other. It's learn how, we learn how we're supposed to forgive each other and love each other deeply. And we do it because he's worthy, and that is it. Great is our God, like we sang. He's worthy of our time and our money and our resources and our energy and our passions and our talents and our gifts. He's worthy of the entire devotion of our hearts. That's why we do it. Let's go ahead and look at verses 16 and 17 again. It says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So he wraps up chapter 2 for a prayer for the Thessalonians. And as believers, these believers and us ourselves, we have hope. We have eternal encouragement that one day we're going to be in paradise with God forever. And I want us to focus primarily on verse 17. Basically, Paul's prayer says, May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And there's countless ways that God encourages us and strengthen our hearts. Some of those ways are the same ways that we, you know, treat each other. Same way that we encourage each other, you know, to be a good listener, to lend a helping hand, you know, when you're in need. Sometimes we provide meals for someone that's hurting. You can give money to someone in need just to spend time with someone who's hurting or whatever it might be. The list can go on. But how does, how does God encourage us? Obviously, those are some ways, and I thought this might be encouraging just to share this. What are some ways that God specifically encourages us? What are some ways that God encourages you? And the floor is open. What are some ways God encourages you? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he's. Are you done? Sorry. You're good. Yeah, he's saying he's encouraged, knowing this. If he's not in God's will, life just doesn't work, and he's got to be in tune with him every day to stay in God's will. And and that's encouraging, knowing that he serves a God like that. What else? How does God encourage you? Yes, Brittany. Sorry. Good. Yes, she's encouraged by other Christians supporting her and encouraging her 
spending time with her, comforting her when she needs it. Maybe one more. So two people here are encouraged by God. That's great. I'm just kidding. Brad. It's good, and yeah, yeah, being encouraged by seeing people be faithful to Christ and follow the call, even though that, that means taking a sacrifice. I know a lot of people, myself, that have taken pay cuts to join jobs in ministry or move to a different city or whatever that God called them to. That's encouraging to see people follow God's will. Absolutely. Those are good things. Okay, I, you know, I know for, for myself, one of the ways I'm encouraged is when I'm reminded of God's desire for me. And what his heart is towards me. And I need to be reminded of it often. Because the fears and cares and worries of this world, they kick in every day. So when I read verses like these, I'm encouraged. I'm going to put those up. Anything? There it is. I'm encouraged when I hear that God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. That God's loved us enough to allow his son to die for us so that we can be with him forever. And that God desires for us to have peace that transcends all understanding. And that we can find true rest in God. Look at those. Man, that's encouraging. That's the God that we serve. He wants us to prosper. He has plans for us. He wants us to have rest and find true peace in him. That's the God that we serve. All right, let's move on. Chapter 3. First five verses here. Bear with me. I know it's a lot of reading. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now, we don't have time to dissect, to dissect all this. So we're going to look at uh, verse 4 for a few minutes there. And as their spiritual mentor, Paul's saying that, you know, that we're confident in you, that you're going to continue to obey these things. Speaking on behalf of himself and, Paul and Silas and Timothy, who traveled there and ministered to them. And the things that they commanded them were the teachings that we put up there. We're going to put those up um, in a second here. 
And as I was reading that verse 4, I couldn't help but wonder how in the world we would respond to that as a church and as individuals as, as well. We're all accountable to God for our lives. So take a minute and think about two or three Christians that you really look up to and respect. Maybe it was someone that discipled you, someone that is discipling you, maybe the person that led you to Christ or baptized you, or maybe they're one of your mentors right now. Could they look at your life and just think about you and say, you know what, they're holding true, they're holding tight and living out the teachings of Scripture. I'm confident. Could they say with confidence that you're doing those things? Could people look at us and say, man, that church, those wellspringers, they are holding tight to Scripture, and they live it out. So go ahead and put that up here. So let's look at these again. So could people look at your life? Could your mentors think about you and say, you know what? I know I'm confident he's imitating the Lord. I'm confident that she is trying to encourage others and build others up. I know I'm confident that he's rejoicing. I'm confident that she's giving thanks, even though she's going through some tough stuff right now. Could people say that about you? Could people say that about us as a church at large? I would hope, <laughs> I would hope that, my that my mentors would say with confidence, I, I know, I know he's living that out. I know he's trying to imitate Christ. He's trying his best to encourage people, I know. <clears throat> I know he's given thanks, even though his life is rough right now, or whatever it might be. And as we wrap up today, I know that it's to remind us that, you know, there's, we have struggles and temptations that are all over the map, just like the people of Thessalonica did. You can go ahead and take those down. We might not be, you know, misled by believing that Christ has come again, or most of us probably aren't being thrown into prison for being a Christian. Please talk to me after service if you've been through that. I'd, it'd probably be really encouraging for me to hear that story of your perseverance. <clears throat> but there are countless weapons that our enemy tries to use against us every day to loosen our grip on the teachings of Scripture. He wants us to wake up every morning with our best interest in mind. It's one way. He wants to keep us so busy with work and activities that we don't have time to even hear his voice. We don't have time to be attentive to the Spirit. He loves when we have the radio on nonstop and the television on nonstop and just noise so that we can't hear him. He wants to do everything he can to make sure that we're jealous and envious of people that maybe have bigger or better or nicer things than we do. He wants us to gossip and cut people down here, especially our brothers and sisters here at Wellspring. He wants us to believe that material wealth will lead to happiness. And he wants us to believe that we have to look a certain way to be valued and to be valuable. He doesn't want us to stand firm. He wants us, our enemy wants us to be like a wave in the sea, tossed around, blown around nearly at every waking moment. And as we come to the communion table today, we have the opportunity to ask God to search our hearts and ask him how we're doing with holding tight to the teachings of Scripture, to some of these teachings that we looked at, the things that Paul said. How are we doing? Are there some areas maybe to grow in? Are there some areas that we've let, maybe let, grip, you know, um, let the grip loosen up a little bit? Maybe, you've, maybe you're letting your work and your career, your much money you make, maybe you're putting your whole identity in that. Maybe you're going through some circumstances and you've got some friends that are pulling you this way. 
say, hey, you know, come hang out with us. Come do the things that we're doing. And they're not God-honoring at all. And so the grip is loosening. And our struggles are probably all over the map. There's no doubt about that. But it's crucial that we remember as we wrap up where we get our strength from. Turn to verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. says that the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. If we're left to our own desires and efforts, we're probably not going to last very long holding tight like Henry did for dear life. Because if you're like me, my own desires and efforts are probably going to lead me to things that just bring quick satisfaction, that bring quick comfort, that are going to just numb the pain and take it away just for the moment. Those are the things that I turn to. And we end with verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And if we don't allow Him to direct our hearts, we're always going to be subject to the things of our flesh. And the things of my flesh typically don't lead me anywhere good when I follow those things. So take some time now and reflect. I want you to reflect on how you're letting God direct your heart so that you can be strengthened to hold fast to the teachings that we looked at today. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have just a few minutes of silence, and then you'll be dismissed for communion. And just come up and take a piece of the bread, and you can dip it in the juice. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you direct our hearts, God, and that we can do these things, that we can only hold on to your truth by your strength and your help. We can't do it out of our own efforts, God. I pray for each one of us, no matter what we're going through, God, whether life's great, whether it's okay, or whether it's horrible right now, God, that we would hold tight, as Henry did, to your truth. Hold tight to the fact that we're loved by you, that our identity is found in you, and that you desire for us to have peace and rest. So God, I pray that right now that you would search our hearts, God, teach us areas of our life that we need to grow in, encourage us now. I know our struggles, things we're facing are probably all over the map, God. I pray that we would each be attentive to what it is you have to say to us right now. In Jesus' name.